Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. There's a wall that sometimes you reach career-wise. And so I came to the conclusion, all right, I'm going to be, I get to do what I enjoy, which is stand-up comedy. But success, whether it be monetary or professional, that might not be something I get. So it was like I had a lot of anger. I was like furious, but I was like, all right, at least I get to do what I like. And so once I came to that conclusion and was like, all right, I'm just going to be the weird uncle that lives in downtown Manhattan in a dirty apartment who does stand-up comedy and is not that good. Once I came to that conclusion, you know, it's like then, you know, two months later I got Letterman. So it was like I had to go through that. Jim kind of went there a little bit of like saying like that he didn't achieve any success until he just gave up on the fact that he was not going to be successful, but he was still going to do it. You know, and so if, if we're chasing something like, you know, to be in People magazine or to be like the most cutting edge show or to, um, you know, chasing money or something like that, it's like we're constantly going to feel like we're failing. But because I feel like we've had like enormous success because we've kind of let go of that aspect of it. It's like we like because you the more you try to control your life, the more out of control you feel. Welcome to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Thank you for coming. Just so we want to know where we are today, this is the storefront for art and architecture, and this is something that Caroline Hirsch, in cooperation with artists Jonah Friedman and Justin Lowe, put together. So this is a recreation of the original comedy speakeasy room in New York called the Ratfink Room, and I'm honored that this is the last comedy show that will be in this room. So thank you all for attending. I want to thank you all so much for being here. Thank you for your support, and I am going to introduce my guest today. The youngest of six children, Indiana native Jim Gaffigan, attended Purdue for one year, then transferred to Georgetown, where he played varsity football and graduated with a degree in finance. 
He arrived in New York City in 1990 at the age of 24 and found a job in advertising and would work during the day and take acting classes and play comedy clubs at night. Jeannie was born in Wisconsin and was the oldest of nine children, inspired by frequent outings to see plays, viewing of classic films and trips to theater festivals in Stratford, Ontario. She decided to pursue a master's degree in directing at Marquette University while interning at the Repertory Theater in Milwaukee, where she immersed herself in stage work and found herself growing restless with her academic pursuits. So she quit her master's program and moved to New York. Upon moving there, she performed in sketch comedy groups and small theater companies where playwrights developed original plays. She then founded the not-for-profit theater company Shakespeare on the Playground, dedicated to teaching literacy and production to urban youth through the performance of full Shakespeare plays. And in the late 90s, Jim combined comedy and advertising, working on award-winning campaigns for many, many companies like Sierra Mist, ESPN, Saturn, and Rolling Rock, where his commercial presence even earned him Business Week's 1999 Salesman of the Year Award. During this time, he also made his sitcom acting debut in the Dan Aykroyd series Soul Man and had supporting roles in films Three Kings and Super Troopers. He got his big break when Hoosier David Letterman's talk show, Late Show with David Letterman, where he performed and killed, and they were so impressed by him, they developed their own sitcom around him called Welcome to New York. After the sitcom stopped, Jeannie was still in New York and began writing and producing comedy more frequently and often with her new friend, and a future husband, Jim Gaffigan. Their lives have never been the same since, as they have created one of the most successful husband and wife creative teams in the last 50 years. Together, they wrote and executive produced all five of Jim's award-winning comedy specials and the animated Pale Force with Conan O'Brien, for which they received an Emmy nomination and the most recent TV Land series that they collaborated on, The Jim Gaffigan Show, where together they wrote and executive produced all 22 episodes. It should be noted that Jeannie directed the final episode of season two of The Jim Gaffigan Show and received the Christopher Award for the season one episode, My Friend the Priest. She also received the Eloquentia Perfecta Award from Fordham University for her work in television and media. She recently also served as the director of Jim's fifth hour special, soon to come out. Jim has been nominated for two Grammy Awards, his last special was the most watched special on Comedy Central. The accompanying album was number 11 on the Billboard charts, number one in comedy, and in 2015, he became one of the few comedians to work at the historic Madison Square Garden. Just recently, Jim Gaffin was the most popular comic on Pandora.com with over 647 million plays, and Rolling Stone listed him as one of the 25 funniest people on Twitter. In 2006, the Gaffigans delivered the commencement address at Catholic University of America, and they're here today, and I'm honored to have them. Please welcome my guests, Jeannie and Jim Gaffigan. It's, that's an amazing introduction. Uh, it's crazy. I was like, do we do that? Yeah, I guess I so. Let's, let's wrap it up then. <laughs> right? I think that covers it. We got it all done. I just look at you guys and I think to myself, it's so hard to just 
make a career work alone. Do you think it's harder to make it work together? I, I mean, I would think it, it's easier. Just, I mean, it's like you can't, like, what your story was, you know, really compelling because it's like two different sides, like very different sides of the business. So um, I think because we're doing the same thing that it actually, um, you know, helps us to have two brains working on the same project. But at the same time, you know, it's both parents. So because we do have five children, that is kind of overwhelming. Like the, the Jim Gaffigan show, being gone 80 hours a week for like three years was very weird. So, you know, we had to, it wasn't like one of us could cover. When was the first time you noticed something with your kids that you were like, this wouldn't have happened if we were here more often? Well, luckily, I think we averted that crisis. Like, we, we saw stuff, we looked ahead in the future and thought, this could happen. Um, you know, we kind of designed the whole thing so they could come after school to the set, um, that we would, you know, always have someone on standby to go get one if they were sick. Um, our house was like Downton Abbey, the bad version. <laughs> um, we had a lot of people helping. Um, but um, I think that the... the thing for me, um, without sounding too schmaltzy, was that um, my, um, my now five-year-old finished his nursery, and at the last, um, in, in May, they had a, a parent breakfast, and I was actually free for it, because we were shooting at night. So I got up, you know, super early, and I went to this um, parent breakfast, and they showed a slideshow that was like, you know, September, October, November, and they showed like pictures of the kids in the class. And as it was going by, I was just like tears were streaming down my face because literally the timing of the slideshow was the exact timing that I felt how fast it went. And I saw the whole year go by and I was like, wow, that was like, that's like a whole year of my kid's life. And I, feel, I felt like, um, you know, the, the balance was a little bit out of whack because I was so overwhelmed with writing and producing and show running and then the next year my next son my um, youngest was in nursery and I couldn't even make the parent breakfast so it was a little bit like that was the moment where I was just like you know I think that um there's other ways there's other ways that we can do this and make more of a balance and it's just like recalibrating all the time being like okay we did this and now let's, let's look for the next thing that we can do and, and con continuing to find ways to make it work and to find the balance between our relationship, our family, and our creativity. I, I still haven't even met my kids. <laughs> um, no, so yeah, that, that, that's one of the, you know, Jeannie and I looked at the show. It was great and, uh, you know, we, we still talk about it. Yeah, it was incredible. But it's one of those things where, I mean, it's... It was an easy decision for me. I mean, You're but, talking about the show not going forward. Yeah. Because I think about this, very few people have the opportunity to walk away from anything after two years. So how mentally difficult was that, Jim, to leave the show when you knew the show was like a plane taking off and you creatively had everything you wanted? Now, granted, there were current network executives on the set giving notes, I'm sure. Well, amazingly, no, there, there, there wasn't. It was almost financial negligence on their part. <laughs> but, and I'm joking, uh, but, and it, it is true that we, by the end of the second season, Jeannie directing that final episode, 
we definitely had figured out a lot. But we also, you know, the the show had gone through different pilots at CBS and and a script deal at NBC. It was piloted once twice. at NBC and twice at CBS. And so we had along that journey. Um, we had uh, encountered um, a lot of different hurdles, but one of the, the the things we were mindful of was trying to figure out where it was manageable. In some ways, pursuing the show was a tactic to keep me in town and also create a fulfillment for both of us as a team. Because Jeannie and I had worked together on books. We'd obviously written stand-up together, and we knew that we wanted to, to write a show. But... When we were doing the last season of our TV Land show, it it became we ended up, uh, you know, uh, getting more responsibilities, and we and because it was the Jim Gaffigan show, and we were writing for two characters named Jim and Jeannie, we couldn't delegate it. it that it was, was the hardest thing. It's like what normally you could set something up and then you know hire a bunch of writers and then like check in, but because it was the tone. And also us being used to doing stand-up where it's just us with no notes. Um, just the notes are from the feedback from the audience. That's your notes. It's either funny or it's not funny. You had what every artist yeah. dreams of. You got everything you wanted at the end. Remember your Welcome to New York? You had nothing of what you wanted. Right. There were two showrunners writing for your life. I also played a character named Jim Gaffigan, (laughs) and I wasn't allowed in the writer's room. And when I would pitch lines for my character, they would say, I don't think you would say that. I was there, Barry. Remember, I, I was there, and we would get the script on Monday, and Jim would like have like a mental breakdown, and be like, "This is nothing like my tone at all." And then by the fr- Friday, by the taping, you'd get like a couple changes in, maybe yeah. for lobbying and lobbying. So we've been on the other end of the spectrum too. And at CBS too, and I also, by the way, I adore the people at CBS. But even that being our pilot that came out that TV Land bought, that pilot was a version of our story that was a very crafted version. So that was our, the parents of what we wound up doing. So it took us you know, two seasons to get back to kind of the freedom. But you did, and I just want to say, when somebody writes you a check, they own you. That's normally the way it is. I can't even name one other show where somebody wrote the check and said, you guys go off and do what you want to do, and you still walked away from it. Was it just a family thing? or was It, it, it wasn't some, uh, some radical thing that we saw in our kids. It's, it's just simple mathematics. It's Jeannie and I are this creative team. We did... Uh, you know, every detail we had our hands on, we we found that we couldn't delegate. And we looked at our children are four to 12. And so if they were, if there were two of them, or if there was, if they were maybe 12 to 18, it would be a different scenario. But it just was, um, it it was going so fast, like their lives simultaneously we just kind of looked at the future and even the us together like when you're working with someone that much like we did not have any downtime it was all work all the time and it was like really great but 
if we looked down the road and we said, okay, we could do you know, five seasons of a really terrific show and have really shitty kids. Or, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, because it's like, what are we, how are we going to be involved? And we have five children. And so it was just something that because of the way that it was constructed and the way that the marketing and the, um, the writing of all the episodes and the pre- and we're very detail-oriented and very, I guess, controlling about what our characters say and how our children are portrayed on the show and all that stuff. It was just like a really overwhelming amount of work. And we did it, and I think we did a great job doing it. I mean, but we had to say, okay, now what is the next... What is a way that we can do this and we can still sustain our family and have a healthy relationship with each other yeah, and our- I, I would also point out i think you know what's unique about our relationship is that Jeannie and i do have this similar work ethic so i mean i know i talk about being lazy but i enjoy like i don't consider stand-up work i don't consider when Jeannie and i write comedy work that's that's fun you know sitting on a plane that's work so doing the television show i don't want people to go you know it was it was too hard. So they were like, you know, he didn't want to wake up in the morning. It's, it's, you know, but I think it's not that rare. I think that creative people are always making, I mean, we're looking at pieces of art around us. It's like there comes a time where everyone, as an artist, you have to sit there and go, all right, you know, I could, I could keep fiddling with this forever or I could move on. And I think that Jeannie and I realize this chapter has come to a close and, and, uh, and, you know, there are going to be other creative outlets for us. Um, and we loved, I mean, I loved every minute of it. I loved writing it. I loved doing it. I loved directing. I loved marketing it. I loved the people at TV Land. I loved the cast, the crew. They're like family to me. I loved them. And um, I don't think that in this day and age, you just it just ends and it's like a wall slamming down. It's like now just on Hulu. Like there's a whole new audience that hasn't even seen the show. And we're already like sucked into like 10 other projects that we can now balance and manage because we don't say yes anymore until we can figure out a way that we can both do it. So um, there is something I think there's something interesting also because, you know, when I was growing up, in the early 1900s. There was, no, when I was growing up, there was three networks. Primetime was three hours. You know, let's say 18 shows, whatever. And now there are 500 shows. So some of what Jeannie and I were trying to figure out as we were going is we have friends and peers and there's amazingly talented people. But a lot of... My friends, a lot of people that I started stand-up with, not only do they have their own shows, they have their own podcasts. They're, they're, everyone is super busy. It's not like the, the talent, the creative comedy pool is, is very shallow. I don't know if that's the right description for it, but... You know, because we were trying to figure out a, a, a scenario of like-minded people, and some of it is there are very funny people that are just have a different sensibility than you. But so we were doing this show that was kind of a throwback, but it was also single camera. So someone that wrote four cameras wouldn't understand our sensibility. We would never do a laugh track and stuff like that. So it was there wasn't a lot of people. 
that that could figure this out. So does that make sense? Anyway, I'm a great guy. <laughs> hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Hey, everybody. And I wanted to thank some of the sponsors on the podcast, starting with AquaTrue. If you haven't bought this countertop water purification system, you have to do so. It's incredible. It turns tap water into your favorite bottled water instantly. It saves you thousands and thousands of dollars. It gets rid of all those plastic bottles that you have in your trash. Thousands and thousands of listeners have bought these. Everybody loves it. Not one complaint. It's incredible. I haven't bought a bottle of water in years since I got this, and you won't either. And if you go right now to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, you'll immediately get a $100 discount. A $100 discount and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. I guarantee it. Lastly, the air doctor. I don't know what the air inside your house is like, but the air inside my house, it feels heavy at times before I got this product. And now it got rid of all the bad air in my house, the dust, the pet hair, the pollen. It just gets rid of all the contaminants circulating through your home. And for me, when I got this product, it was amazing the difference that I found in the air in my house. And it's normally $600 and you can check Amazon right now and you'll see. But for all of you listening today, I can offer you $300 off. $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com and type in the promo code Barry. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry, and save $300 and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. Knowing that you've had that thing where you had creative freedom, Obviously, in the future, you're going to want that again. Yeah. How far in the future, with the way things are with your family, do you think you'll be able to approach doing that again together? I mean, I think we're approaching it already. I mean, just spoiler alert, but 
Um, I think that we're just figuring out a way, like right now we're, we're also um, looking at things that would be easier to do with like, let's say streaming a six episode arc or an eight episode arc. I mean, that's the way people are kind of watching TV now with streaming. There's kind of this other model that we were working on the grind of is kind of kind of a thing of the past in a lot of ways, especially with all of our, like we're you know very active on social media and we have, you know, we could literally like go on Facebook Live at a restaurant and get as many people you know, viewing the Facebook Live as we got to watch the cable show on one night because people are DVRing. So it's like there's like live numbers that are still important to advertisers, but people aren't watching TV live anymore. They, you get a million followers as the week went on, but it's like we could, like there's a different, there's a different landscape right now. And so I think that, you know, a lot of people that are, you know, our, our um, Twitter followers don't even have cable TV. They're like, where can I see your show? Still. You know, and it's what, you have two point what million followers on Twitter? Yeah. And it's like, that's a lot of people that can't, don't have cable. Do you know yeah, what I mean? It's so really, it's, I mean, that was really. They want to see the show. And it's changing year to year. You know, like when we first, the show was at CBS and when we were approached by Doug Herzog to come to TV land. Who was my first guest on the show. Yeah. Doug was in charge of the comedy department, comedy and music, and TV land was, he was going to reinvent TV land. And Larry Jones, who was and the Larry president Jones. of TV land. And, came and to he us. very much said, do what you want. You know, there was no, uh, it was just Jeannie and I. It was literally the best meeting we ever had. Yeah. And, and so, um, the scenario that was presented to us, I had never watched TV land, but, we had looked at, you know, at that point, it's different. It might not be something we remember right now, but, like, that was the point where you would hear about a show and you would find it. And, know what, and it what was before it was Netflix or... was really producing content. And so, so we were like, all right, people will find this show. But what happened in those three years is that people are dropping cable. So, you know, the, the historic numbers of, like, Comedy Central's numbers dropping 50%. It's just insane what's happening. And no one under the age of 30 even has cable. And so what, we're, what we were doing is then we were doing this show and trying to reach half the people that were possible to see the show. So it, it was interesting how the landscape changed. And it was... It ended up being one of those things where obviously there were other factors that were influencing what we were going to do. But it was amazing to realize that there, there might not be another network that becomes the FX or the AMC because there aren't the people subscribing to cable that there used to be. So reinventing a cable network is going to be more difficult. And by the way, of course, the first day we started shooting, then... Viacom took TV Land away from Doug Herzog, and then the second day we were shooting, they fired Larry Jones. So they're like, was, by the way, here's your new bosses. And we're like, but what about those people who like believed in us? But it turned out, it, it turned out great. I want to go way, way, way back. I guess I'll start with Eugenie. Take us back to how you grew up and what was your first inspiration to get into this business. 
Well, I think it was, be, well, you know, as you um, mentioned, I'm the, one of nine children. The old, oldest, so you're the one yeah. who never got to do anything. Jim, well, he just said, listen, do not do the heroin in the living room. Go in your room. But you, you didn't get to do anything because they were strict. Well, yeah, but we both have, like, similar stories. Like, he thinks they were the strictest on the youngest, and I think they were strictest on the oldest. So we have, like, a little competition going there. But um, I think that's also one of the things that kind of, appealed to us about each other is like because at first I think we didn't really like each other when we met each other we were kind of like but then when we kind of talked we had why we, would no. someone dislike me they say a woman knows within five minutes of meeting a guy if she's gonna be with him did you know oh uh, that, that's kind of a hard question yeah. I think that we were just a lie yes I knew it was like I was like wow yeah no, um, I think that I think that we just like when I think when we first went out to lunch together because it was like not even a date. It was like out to lunch, and I was doing that theater. Company. I thought it was a date, but go he on. thought it was a date, and I thought it was like I could rope him into. Yeah, like, I just want to go out my... to lunch with a beautiful woman. But I didn't really. I just thought of myself as like this organizer, this community organizer. There wasn't even one thing in the back of your mind like, yeah, maybe. Well, I was really, you know, into producing this theater company, and so he was a performer, and I thought, how can I use him? to volunteer to, you know, um, you know, to help the kid, because we lived on the same block. That was, yeah. that was what we're skipping, is that we were part of the same community and there was a problem in the community with the kids. And I thought, you know, why don't we, you know, why don't you work with us and do a workshop for some of these kids and sh show them, you know, they, have, they need mentors that are talented and, and whatever. And he was kind of like, um, you know, when can I? I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> No. no, he was like, yes, but he was like, you know, had other things in mind. When did you know that you guys were meant for each welcome other? Welcome to New York. It was, on, it was working on Welcome to New York together. So, I mean, just, I'm, I'm just going to tell you that my father was a film and theater critic, and that was my inspiration to go into it, and a journalist. But that was the first question, but I just wanted to get rid of that. So, um, <laughs> it was Welcome to New York, because when Jim got, when the series got picked up, Welcome to New York... I was in theater, and he wasn't. And he was like, I'm going to be doing scenes with Christine Baranski, and I have no idea what I'm doing. And I need help breaking down these scenes and working on the acting part, because we all know that a lot of really funny comedians don't make that transition so well. And um, I started working with Jim. I was like, yes, and I started working with him on the scripts. And he was just such a natural actor. And um, when we, we each had our own jobs and then we would like meet up like after dinner, right? Yeah. And get together and work and just, you know, just dissect these scripts and get into them. And the way that we worked together was just so good. Like we just worked together. We had like this kind of same approach and it was a real eye-opener where it was like, wait a minute, you're different. Like, I'm different and you're different, but we're the same kind of different. And I think both of us had relationships in the past where it just, you can't really explain to someone who doesn't kind of have that passion for work what the hell you're doing. It's just, it seems, it, they take it personally. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's very hard to maintain a relationship with like a crazy type A person like like me or Jim. And I think that when we started working on Welcome to New York together and it started really um, kind of gelling, like the, us working together and like caring so much um, about the same project, I think that's when I really realized that we should stay together. Got it. And Jim, take us back to your family growing up and what was your first inspiration of getting in the business? Um, well, I think uh, I remember watching... Um, 
I watched a lot of Carol Burnett, and I thought uh, she was amazingly funny. I remember uh, seeing some stand-up comedy um, on, like, the Mike Douglas show and stuff like that. And um, I don't know. There's so many different scenarios of of exposure, but it was such a pipe dream, the idea of being a stand-up comedian, because I grew up in a town where the only form of entertainment was the marching band. So it was... <laughs> Going into the entertainment industry was, you know, equivalent to saying I wanted to be an astronaut. It was just like, you're never going to do it, so why even bring it up? And so then, uh, but I think, you know, and recently I've been realizing that um, my drive uh, that I very similar to Jeannie's drive. I don't, but my personal drive. I think it's because I had so much failure. Like I think there was like you even talked about it. Like you know that I went to Purdue, which is a great school. But like uh, the backstory there is that my father went to Georgetown and he met my mother at Georgetown. She was taking classes there. And my brother went to Georgetown, and all I wanted to do was go to Georgetown through high school. And my parents had a dog named Hoya, which is the team mascot, and I didn't get in. So it was like, it was this, and I didn't get in any of the colleges that I applied to, because I, like the SATs, I think I got like one. So, but what I realized is that is such, and that's just one example, but like there was incredible, almost embarrassing level of failure in that moment. But that then I got in. Idea. But it was because of that failure that I went to Purdue and I was like, I'm going to get in there. And so I think because of that failure, and there's different examples of it through my life, that what drove, that's what drove me. Because in stand-up comedy, particularly when I started, there's... There was no money. No one was doing shows at Madison Square Garden or touring the country, really. I mean, Carlin was and Cosby was, but that was it. So it was it was the equivalent of going into phonographic repairment. Like, you know, it just didn't... You could do it, but, like, you're not going to make a living. So um, I feel like, you know, at a young age, I, you know, like I had all these older brothers. I, they were... Some were smarter, some were funnier, some were better athletes. And so, like, I had to kind of figure out something I was good at. And so you get to New York and you decide to go on stage. Take yeah. us through the first time you went on stage and what happened. The first time I, I, I did improv, uh, I did an improv class because I had an incredible fear of speaking. I worked in advertising, and whenever I would speak in front of a, a group, I would just turn beet red, and people would be, like, nervous. They'd be like, is he all right? <laughs> so someone recommended that I take an improv class to deal with my fear of public speaking. And so I did the improv class, and... I always wanted to be a comedian, and I, and there was somebody in the improv class who was going to take a stand-up seminar, which was essentially someone holding your hand while you do stand-up. And so I did it, and then so my first time doing stand-up, I had I had this material. It was it was uh, I've never done heroin. 
I imagine it's, but I felt my life kind of change. Like, oh, this is the best thing I've ever done in my life. Like, this is, and and it was, you know, it, the second time was good. And then after that, I think I bombed for like two years. Like, it was definitely a sign of insanity for me to keep doing it. But, uh, so yeah, that first time was pretty amazing. Take us through what you perceive was your first break in show business where when it happened, you said to yourself, I'm never doing anything else again. Well, I would say um, prior to that uh, decision, there was... A de- uh, there was a realization that um, I was, uh, I had to come to the conclusion that I was going to not be successful uh, from, uh, from kind of a material or a professional standpoint. That I was, I, I had done stand up for a long time, I think seven years, and my peer group that I started with. Greg Giraldo and Ian Bag and Bonnie McFarlane, all these people, and and Jim Norton and Judah Friedlander, all these people um, that I started with, and there's the generation above us. I mean, I know it sounds confusing, but like Louis C.K. and David Tell, they were they had done it two more years or three more years than us, and everyone had done late night television, whether it be Letterman or Conan except for me and I would go on or or they'd been to Montreal and I would go into like I remember I would do a guest set and there was uh like the booker for uh the Aspen Comedy Festival like he would see me and he would run out of the room because but it was just there was almost like a certain there's a wall that sometimes you reach career-wise and so I came to the conclusion all right I'm gonna be I get to do what I enjoy, which is stand-up comedy, but success, whether it be monetary or professional, that might not be something I get. So it was like I had a lot of anger. I was like furious, but I was like, all right, at least I get to do what I like. And so once I came to that conclusion and was like, all right, I'm just going to be the weird uncle that lives in downtown Manhattan in a dirty apartment who does stand-up comedy and is not that good. Once I came to that conclusion, you know, it's like then, you know, two months later I got Letterman. So it was like I had to go through that that arc. But I think performing on Letterman was, uh, you know, being from Indiana, he's from Indiana, and um, it was it was a, an undeniable thing because when you started stand up, it's changed a lot. But like when you start stand up uh, back in the day, you'd say I'm a comedian. They would be like, "Are you on Letterman? Have you been on Conan?" And if you hadn't been on that, people would be like, "Oh, you have you have mental problems. You're just <laughs> crazy." So that was I think that changed the perception. I think, of the self-perception. Jeannie, what do you perceive as your first big break as a writer? Um, well, there's kind of a funny story. This isn't, this isn't exactly answering the question, but this is a, a memory that just came back to me that was just a, a really eye-opening experience for me because I was always kind of steamrolling along on my own path, and I never thought that I would 
be collaborating with someone because that just wasn't particularly someone like Jim who's like or, you know what is also a steamroller. Um, but we were doing something I don't remember. And you went to um, L.A. This is like a long time ago, and you were g- going to do a um, a spot on. Um, Craig Kilborn's show and and this is like back in like the early 2000s and Jim um, and I was still you know doing my theater company and everything like that and Jim went to LA and we had been you know basically like getting to know each other and getting to know each other's senses of humor and just basically like um, you know looking at New York through both of our eyes rather than our two points of view and just getting to know each other's points of view. And Jim went to, I was working in New York and Jim went to do this um, appearance of doing stand up and panel, right? Did you yeah. get panel? Yeah, I think that and was because a it, big deal. Yeah, it was a big deal because he was, because it was welcome to New York. And um, so Jim called me after the taping and I said, um, how did it go? And he goes, well, I have to confess something to you because I did your material on Craig Kilborn and I said you I, and then I was like really how did it go and he goes it killed <laughs> and all of a sudden I felt like I had killed and it was like a big realization for me that I didn't have to be doing it to feel that feeling that heroin feeling and it was a real eye opener for me because like I was like a big commercial for heroin but yeah <laughs> heroin try it no um, anyway so yeah so it was like that was a big uh, moment for me because I never thought that unless I was just like the front man that I would get that kind of feeling. You know, the, you know being, hearing the applause from me. But all of a sudden I was like, no, this is like, I feel this is really good that I can write something and someone else can say it and I still feel great. You know, I still feel like I accomplished something even though it's not my name and my, my face. So it was a big, big realization for me because I thought, who would ever want to be in the background? Even though I was doing all this production and directing and all that stuff, for some reason, because it was me, I didn't make the connection. Then I realized, oh, that's kind of what it, it, it is for me. That's what I want. I don't want to be necessarily all the time the person in front. And that really helped us because then I realized that through this kind of arrangement which is so unusual that I could have both things I could have my family and I could have my creativity and so it was pretty um amazing I know for myself and many other artists there's things that the world doesn't see they only see you on camera but they don't see the internal struggles and doubt and the things that you go through sometimes can you talk a little bit of how you overcome that and how you deal with that yeah i i don't know it's it's interesting because there's there's what people have to understand is the entertainment industry is pretty horrible but um every industry is horrible life is a disaster (laughs) no but what's unique about stand-up comedy and you being a comedy nerd, you'll under, you know, what's so unique about stand-up comedy is that unlike other aspects of the entertainment industry, it, stand-up comedy is very much a meritocracy. So you either do the job or you don't. And, and now it's you either do the job or you don't, whether it be for everyone 
or for a, a niche part of an audience. So, you know, people that... So, like, stand-up comedy, you have some sense of control of your destiny. I mean, there's no guarantees, but you can work hard and you can keep writing and and try and develop new material. And Jeannie and I have, have, have together written five hours, which sounds insane to me. But that's something we have control over. Like, you don't have control over how people are going to re- react to it. Whereas in the other parts of the entertainment industry, it's there's a zeitgeist that grabs on to things. So I think as a comedian, it's very weird to inject yourself in the entertainment industry, whether it be um, creating a show like Jeannie and I did or even promoting a show because it's it's not a meritocracy. It's There's a zeitgeist that's... And there's different things, you know, like, look, the Jim Gaffigan show, I think Jeannie and I talked about this. It's, you know, it was it was great, but it's like the zeitgeist changed so much. And not that we're chasing the zeitgeist, but like I look at our show and I'm like, there was not a single person of color in the we had a priest that was. uh But it's it's like the zeitgeist changed but so also, much. If you listen to the description of it, you know, it's like. It's a show about a, a stand-up comedian who lives in New York, who has five kids. It's on TV land. Like, it doesn't sound like, you know, the cutting-edge show of the, you know, what I mean? So it's like we're, we're up against, like, the image of what the show, what the show is, and it doesn't sound like anyone, one of our friends would want to watch it. Do you know what I mean? Right. So, like, we... But with, with stand-up, I think that, you're, you know, your question, Jim kind of went there a little bit of, like, saying, like, that he didn't achieve any success until he just gave up on the fact that he was not going to be successful, but he was still going to do it, you know? And so if, if we're chasing something like, you know, to be in People magazine or to be, like, the most cutting-edge show or to, um, you know, chasing money or something like that, it's like we're constantly going to feel like we're failing. But because I feel like we've had the enormous success because we've kind of let go of that aspect of it. It's like we, like, because you, the more you try to control your life, the more out of control you feel, I think. That's, um, you know, we've had really, we've had low point. I mean, I, I can't even, this has been a very difficult journey for us. Like when Jim was touring, um, and I all of a sudden couldn't travel anymore because I had two, like, infants pretty much. When we first had two kids, that was a huge challenge to us because I felt like I was being steamrolled. And I was working my, my ass off in the apartment, you know, b- like, you know, managing and producing and, do, you know, figuring everything out. And Jim was out there getting steak dinners and five star hotels and all this stuff and I was like this I, I would do that anyway <laughs> you know and yeah. so I had to like co- I had to recalibrate and a lot of times are, you know people are like oh what's your secret and I'm just like well we just didn't get a divorce <laughs> you know what I mean that's when that's what all we just didn't get a divorce when we wanted one <laughs> I never we just, wanted we one. just figured out how to not you know what I mean? I think it was like when I was pregnant with the third kid and I was like, okay, wait a minute. You know what I mean? Let's figure out how we can balance this more. 
Yeah. Right? Like yeah, we had definitely. to have we had I mean, to have these like rock bottom times where I was just like, you know, we're like both of us were like, we're not happy doing this. Like we're not happy doing this. How can we now recalibrate? So it was like before, like with the Jim Gavigan show, it was like you said, it was everything that we always wanted. I mean, it wasn't the Chappelle show. Like think about, you know, how we didn't walk away from the Chappelle show. Yeah, right? like so when we said hero. we're not doing it again, TV, TV Land, TV Land wasn't like, like no, we're going to sue you. They're like, no. okay, yeah. all right, see ya. Yeah. yeah, no, but I mean, it was like they were very elegant about it, but it's like well, the timing was right. Do you know what I mean? Like it had it been like the top rated Emmy award winning show that we know it would have been, it would have been a lot harder to end it, you know? Um, and by the way, uh, you know, the fact that we walked away from it is because along this journey, whether it be balancing touring and family, it, it made, you know, that the path informed that decision. We have because to constantly we've, we've constantly re- been trying to like, you know, I mean, I do theaters and stuff like that, but being gone Friday and Saturday is not as bad as, I mean, uh, you know, I could name five of my friends that go Wednesday and come back Monday. And, I can and name years where that happens. And so that's, years. that's where, you know, uh, the priority of finding some balance and building the machine. Because not only can a television show kind of gobble you up, but also touring can. I mean, we also did two books and it was just like. It's insane. You know, writing a book is really hard, and it takes an enormous amount of time. Because the and, person who wrote the check is calling you a uh, deadline. Yeah. Deadline. Well, it's, and, and the interesting thing is our second book, I was like, Jeannie, this one's going to be easy. And it was harder than the first one. So it's, it's, you have to sit there and learn from your experiences. We constantly have to hit those rock-bottom times, and I think that as we're getting like wiser – I don't want to say older, but wiser and older. Um, we're figuring out that, like, before that rock bottom happens, we have to go, okay, I can see that this is starting to get out of control. So what can we do now to fix it? It's just part of the, before we hit those rock bottom times where we're just like, we just can't go on. Now, you know? It normally takes a really, really strong woman to keep the train on the tracks. Woman? I, I wouldn't call myself a woman. But. <laughs> and that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Aquatru, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. 
and the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life and instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. And here's a preview of the next episode. Seeking creative fulfillment is really what it's about, but also not getting caught up in other people's expectations is, you know, whether people expect a real comedian to be on Letterman or whether working on a, uh, on having your own show is it's like that's other people's expectations, but like kind of keeping track of what you know, like our, you know, having a partnership, like what is our expectations of what success is? And I think that a lot of people also, I mean, from feedback that I've gotten that they don't get what I'm doing because they think that I'm kind of like being this like traditional, like let, you know, giving Jim all the glory type thing. And what about you? Like, especially like relatives, like what about your career where they don't understand that this is my career? But that's just too weird because it seems like some kind of like anti-feminist thing. But I mean, I feel so that's also something that, you know, that I have to deal with. And I can't really let that affect me at all because I know what my position is of power in this relationship. I don't need to be on the cover of the magazine. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.